Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Well, I think up to this point, we've all got our money's worth. Uh, last night, um, Brother Lambeth just preached under such an anointing, such a timely word. And then I uh, have to say that I received what I expected from Brother Davies. I expected to be fed and ministered to. And man, there was so much in that. At some point, you've got to stop taking notes and just say, I'll buy the CD. And that's kind of about last night. I got my note ready, Brother Lamb, but I was going to just take everything. About two, 15 minutes into your message, I realized I'd have to buy the CD on this one because I was too into the message to take notes. So I appreciate them. And then, of course, Brother Townley and this church. Uh, what an excellent job uh, you have done and are doing in this meeting. And I do count it an honor and a privilege to be here today. Uh, it's my honor and privilege to, to be with you all today in this place. And, uh, and then I, I carry the burden and responsibility of ministering the Word of God very seriously. I don't take it lightly. Um, I tell my home church, uh, I'm called the pastor. And uh, my greatest anointing is when I'm standing in my pulpit in my home church. And when I receive an invitation to come to uh, be a part of other meetings, I, I take it very seriously and very prayerfully approach it because uh, I want to be a blessing. And uh, I don't want to be where I'm not supposed to be. And I want to be where I am supposed to be. And uh, so I, I do count it an honor, and I've approached this very prayerfully, uh, prayer and fasting and seeking God, and I believe God has spoken. Um, most of the prayer and most of the fasting was to make sure that I heard right. Um, because early on as I began to approach this meeting of the town, I felt a very clear uh, direction from the Lord. And then I had to make sure it wasn't just me. So, uh, you know, me can get me in a lot of trouble. And me's got me in some really tight spots. So if I can keep me out of the way, things will usually go okay. But I, I, I do uh, mean what I said today, and I thank you all. As one preacher said one time, I recognize my position. I am the only thing standing between you and lunch. And uh, so I'm going to do my best to convey what I feel in my spirit uh, for this meeting. And uh, then we'll let the Lord have his way. And uh, hopefully we will get out of here in the next little bit. Um, if you have your Bibles today, we're going to go uh, to the book of Ezekiel. I'm going to be reading from Ezekiel, uh, specific chapter 22. And uh, I'm going to, with the help of the Lord today, going to preach what I feel that God would have us to hear. How many of you have come today prepared to hear what the Spirit saith to the church? Amen. Reading in this book, I, I want to just also say that um, uh, how I concur with uh, Brother Townley's statements. Several years ago, um, he preached uh, a day service, I believe it was. Maybe it was a night service, I don't remember it, at West Coast Day Service. And uh, that 
is just a few hours from my house. I drove over and he preached and oh, what an awesome message. I'll never forget it. I've taken it. Moses, you must be meek. And if you've never heard him preach that message, you ought to pound on him until he preaches it. Um, What a great word from the Lord. I appreciate him. And uh, then let me also say, and I know there's a lot of preliminaries, but I got to get it out of the way, how good it is to be with all of uh, the ministering brethren, some and many of them I'm acquainted with, others I'm getting to know. God bless you. It's a privilege and honor to be with you all. Well, Ezekiel chapter 22, beginning with verse 30, just two scriptures here today that I want to read. And Ezekiel simply says, I sought for a man among them that I should or that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Therefore, have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. And I'm preaching today uh, from this thought, a man between God and judgment. A man between God and judgment. And uh, let's ask the Lord one more time before we're seated to help us, to give us ears. I know you've already been fed tremendously spiritually today. Let's pray that God would increase our appetite and capacity to receive. Thank you, Lord, for the word. Thank you for the anointing of the Holy Ghost that I feel right now, God, upon this service, upon my mind and my heart. I pray that you would anoint us, God, all to be hearers of the word and to receive what you would convey to us today. I pray, Lord, you would anoint my mind and my thoughts that I might speak to your people to be a strength and an encouragement. Amen. And everybody said in Jesus' name, you may be seated. My text today is... Not simply a play upon a word, nor is it a liberal use of the word man. You see, it would be easy for us to recognize that we are in a men's conference. And so we can find within Scripture many words, texts that apply to men. But today I take it from a deeper level, a a more important perspective, just the assignment of distinction of gender. I, I contend that this text in Ezekiel is indicative of God's desire to partner with or I could say it like this, to utilize a man's position to accomplish his work. So it's more than just me saying today that Ezekiel said a man, just any man. I believe that God is expressing here something deeper. That God is trying to help us to see that there is an interaction between 
God's plan and a man that will fill a specific role. I believe if I took this even further that hermeneutical law would support my position. Because context and substance all say what I'm saying. If I were to take you to Genesis chapter 6. And if we were to read verses 5 through 9. We would find that in that entire chapter specifically. That there are some fantastic occurrences. This is a place where we find the sons of God. Marrying the daughters of men. This is the place where we find that God expresses his own thoughts and feelings and says that it repenteth me that I have made man. God looks down and decides at that moment that the only remedy for the case and the condition of humanity is to completely obliterate them and wipe them off as Brother Davies referred to with a great storm of water. But yet, when God makes this decision, God at the same time introduces a divine plan. It's something that is not at that moment clear to that generation. But now, having the advantage of standing where we are today, we find that God chose in that circumstance and in that moment to reveal to us that there's going to be a church. That's going to create a place of safety when judgment comes. And so God chose a man. A man by the name of Noah. Who the Bible said regardless of the atmosphere, the culture, the society that he lived in. The Bible says about him that Noah found grace in the sight of God. And so God chose a man in the middle of this. A man that had something in his own heart. A man that was in the world but did not want to be like the world. And so God used Noah. If we were to leap forward just a few chapters, we would find that in Genesis chapter 12, another man is introduced in a land of paganism. Again, this is following the flood. This is now the post-antediluvian period. Now men have begun to prosper. And a man is called Abram. And he is called of God out of his country. And so God then again chooses another man to establish to us that when he wants to bring about his promises and his faithfulness to his word, he will demonstrate it through the life of a barren man and a barren woman with absolutely no genealogy, with absolutely no family history, yet they have a call. God chooses men. Today, God still chooses men. If we were to leap forward, we would find that Abram, although he's called many things, although he holds such a predominant Position in scriptural history. There are many, many references to Abraham. The greatest and most powerful, in my opinion, is Galatians chapter 3 and verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That we might receive 
the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so we find that without Abraham, there would be no Galatians 3.14. That now we understand that Abraham was not just a man called, but he was a man called to live with a promise so that one day you and I, we would be able to enjoy the blessings and the favor of God. If time would permit today, we could speak of Joseph. We could speak of Moses. We could speak of David. We could speak of Peter. We could speak of Paul. We could speak of Philip. We could speak of Timothy. We could speak of Apollos. Scripture is full of men that do the will of God and that bring about great victory. Today, in this this conference, we're looking at things and situations. Even some of you, and bear with me today as I as I try to move this forward. Even some of you who we've heard preached to and ministered to are standing on the edge of situations and issues, problems, challenges. Let me tell you that you are not insufficient for your problem. That you are not incapable of dealing with the challenge. You are a man. Called of God. Anointed of God. Fear not. God's got his hand on you. God has a plan for you. The wind may be blowing, but God's not done. God's raising up men in this day and time, in our hour. Things haven't changed. God's still searching. God's still looking as in Ezekiel's day. We are often repelled by the bizarre and very, should we say, disgusting actions of our world today. Calling things that are unnatural, natural. Turning good into evil and evil into good. And so we are repulsed by this attitude. And our tendency may be to step away from things and try to find a defensive insular position. But I'm telling you today that God doesn't want us to draw back. God wants us to step forward in a fresh anointing, in a fresh revelation. God doesn't want the church to run. God wants the church to engage. God doesn't want the church to pull back. God wants us to step forward. Not be fearful and not be intimidated, but to declare openly, this is the day that God raised us up for. We are sufficient for the challenge. Amen. You may be seated. The call of God is to fill the spiritual breach of our hour. So they're going to give homosexuals marriage license. You can either run up your white flag and singing hold the fort till Jesus comes. Or you can go out in the streets and say, we're going to make a difference. Because we're men of God. I'm not preaching to preachers right now, I'm preaching to men. 
I may refer to preachers, but don't mistake what I'm preaching here right now. This is not a message to preachers. This is a message to men. I recognize today that being in a men's meeting, there's a lot of analogies and things I talk about. I could probably get your attention if I started making references to hunting or fishing or the size of tires on your truck or your rod and reel and boat. There's a lot of ways. But let me just skip all of that. Let's get down to the heart of the matter because this meeting's not about fishing and it's not about hunting. It's not about trucks. Although there's a lot of them in the parking lot. This meeting is about men of God. Men love God. You're not here today because you got paid to be here. You're here today and you came. Some of you had to pay for hotels and travel. and You you, you put money into this meeting. It's because you love God. Because you love the truth. Because you want to please God. So I'm not saying that to pat you on the back. I'm just saying it. Let's make the obvious even more obvious. We're not here because we have to be here. We're here because we want to be here. We're here because we recognize. We identify with the hour that we live in. And we say, Brother Townley, we need the Mid-South Apostolic Men's Conference in 2016. But make no mistake, we are contending for our spiritual position. Don't misunderstand me when I say this. This is not an appeal to your male, macho, manly side. I guess we could all pull our jackets off and roll up our sleeves and be men. Some of you could go get your dirty boots out of your truck and bring them in. And we could be men. But that wouldn't be the kind of men that I'm preaching about. Because I know some men's men who don't even know how to fish. Because the man that I'm speaking of is a man that recognizes the atmosphere that we're living in. And the demand that that atmosphere places on us to not survive, but to overcome. Because God's not in the business of raising up a surviving church. God's interested in the business of raising up a thriving church. An aggressive church. A violent church. A church of absolute determination. A church of revelation. A church of determination. Men hold a very, a very unique position. I could, if I, if I had the time, we would read it all, but I don't for the sake of time. But if you were to read it, and you can at your leisure, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and you get the first portion. But let me sum it all up as Paul begins to address men in the church. And he sums it up with verse 8, and he said, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath or doubting. This is a call to all men. 
It's a universal call. It's not a cultural call. It's a call to all men of all color, all nations, all, all, all everything, all tongues. It's a, it's a call to all apostolic men that all men everywhere would lift up holy hands and pray without wrath or doubting. Amen. I will say it like this as someone conveyed it to me. It means God says, I don't want to argue with you, and I don't want you to fuss with me about it. I want you to become men of spiritual position. I want you to become men of spiritual influence. I don't care how big your truck is. I want to know what your prayer life look like. A man is not measured by what's hanging on his wall. He's measured by what he impacts on his knees before God. And so the call of God and the order instruction of Paul is men. I want you to be first spiritual. Brother Davies, I'm going to piggyback on you and both you and Brother Lambeth today, so forgive me. You set me up well. I don't care how long your sleeves are. External holiness is not the defining line with men. I want to know how much time you spend before your king. I, I, I'm not, this is not said in a, in a slanderous position towards holiness. But men, we can't make the mistake of thinking because we obey the standards preached from the pulpit that we are Pentecostal because of some historical experience and daily obedience to a certain appearance. Men's holiness is marked by their spirit. You say, I'm a holiness man, then that means you're a praying man. I'm a holiness man, that means you're a worshiping man. I'm a holiness man. That means you are a giving man because your time is spiritual, your finances are spiritual, and your devotion is spiritual. And it's impossible to be a spiritual man without spiritual effort. You can be seated. Why is it that the first thing, the most contended issue is our walk with God. Why is it that prayer can still become the thing that we're so easily distracted from? We can pray one day and the transmission go out the next day and we don't pray the next day because we're working on the car. You see how easy it is to get off. It's not because we don't love God. It's just that this battle is so contentious. It's a daily war. That's why Paul said, I have to die daily. Every day there's a side of me that lives and there's a side of me that dies. And I have to die out to self every day. But I have to live to him every day. There has, to be, there has to be a struggle and there has to be victory if I'm going to win the battle on Monday and Tuesday. 
and Wednesday. It's a battle. It's a fight. Let me talk about it a little bit and bring it into more clarity possibly for some of you. I believe very strongly in what I refer to as divine order. God, everything he does in creation has order. God has purpose, position, and order. And so if we go to Genesis, we will find that God specifically lays out his created order. God made man in God's image. And then when God allowed man to come to the revelation that he was deficient and that even though all of creation was beautiful and wonderful, there was still nothing in it that mirrored him. So I don't care how many horses you have, if you don't have a wife, you're lonely. Because a horse doesn't mirror you. Even in spite of that, God allowed Adam to come to the understanding. There ain't nothing here for me. And God said, I was waiting for you to come to that. Go to sleep. And he raises up Eve, who is a woman, who is his mirror opposite. Now, that's a whole nother conference. We're not working on that today. We're not even touching it. Just two words. Yes, dear. That's it. Secret to success. Yes, dear. I know that's good preaching. I've been married long enough to know that that was good preaching. The rest of it prior and after may be bad, but that was good preaching. God gives us, he gives us order. And he said, I'm going to make man, and the plurality of it is not meaning in reference to God. We know that it's a form of royalty. It's a king speaking for his creation. Let us make man. You're watching. Watch what I'm about to do. Let us make man in our image. And so he makes man. He makes him a little lower than the angels. He makes him of the earth, earthly. But he brings into him a supernatural element, which is life. And man becomes not a living human being, but a living soul. And it's the soul in man that causes the body to live. It's not the body that causes the soul to live. And so man is first and primarily a spiritual being. And without the breath of God, there is no life. And you're not really a man if you don't walk with God. I don't care how big your muscles are. I don't care how big your bank account is. We're not men until we're in his presence. Ye are complete in him. We are only fulfilled when we are with him, our creator. And so divine order teaches us that God made man first and then the woman. And he said of this, he said that God made man and Adam was of God, but now men are of Eve. Now they come through the woman. But before, Adam was a direct result of God's hand directly. So he said, look, we're going to start this out. I'm going to start it, and then I'm going to let you, through your relationship and your wife, I'm going to let you continue it. But don't ever forget, the man is a picture, a mirror of me. God. Well, I say it because the devil hates apostolic men. 
The devil hates men's conferences. The devil hates playing men because it's not just us he sees. He sees something about heavenly in us. He sees something about divinity in us. Every time we align ourselves with God, we are refractory. We are a mirror image of our creator. And again, we testify God is true. God is sure. God is faithful. God is supreme. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. God is all. It's creative order. Don't get out of order. Don't let your wife pray more than you pray. Don't let your women worship more than you worship. Man first. I feel the Holy Ghost. Man first. Don't let anybody beat you in the prayer room. Don't let anybody beat you down to the altar. Don't let anybody outdo your worship. It's men first. I said it's men first. I said it's godly, divinely appointed men called to stand in the breach. Yeah, you and I called. You and I. You and I. You and I. You and I. You and I contending, 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 wrestling, fighting, struggling. You can be seated. In my house, I'm sure it's similar in yours. I'm the first one up. Just, I wake up. I get up. Most of the time, not every time, but most times, I'm the last one in bed. I'm making sure the doors are locked. Making sure everything's secured. Make sure the shotgun's loaded. I trust the Lord. I just don't trust other people. Someone said, don't lean on the arm of the flesh. I said, I'm not. That's because of the arm of the flesh. But in all of that, I feel it is kind of my duty. I'm the protector. I don't look for fights. I don't look for trouble. But if it comes, I'm not running from it. Not because I'm a macho man. It's just because I'm highly motivated. I have a lovely wife and three great kids. That's a lot of motivation. So, we say all that because there has to be a repressed, latent violence that simmers beneath the surface. Over some issues. I love my wife. I respect my wife. I appreciate her. She's my best friend. We spend much time together. And I told her the other day. I said. You make my world. 
happy. I've been in a few places before where I've noticed other people have noticed what I noticed. I have a beautiful wife. You may notice that. You have my permission. But if you start noticing too much, now you have my attention. So you can notice. But if I see you go, then I'm probably going to step in front of her. Not because, but because I recognize my position. I'm a protector. This is, these are my prized possessions. I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to value them. Oh, that God would give us His nature. So that we could possess the same disposition and character of the groom for His bride. And that we as men could recognize the value and the beauty, the character and the friendship of his precious church, the bride. And we could, as men, step into the void and say, this lady has a protector. You can admire her, but if you start picking her apart, we have problems. I didn't start it, you did. I'm going to say something today, and this is not to be controversial or contentious or anything. But I'm not really worried about who has a problem with me now. I may not have always uh, advocated for where I stand and what I believe absolutely about the word of God. Because there were other people that were speaking into my voice. I mean into my life. And, and they were pulling on me in ways. And I know that now there are some that, 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 that maybe I used to run with that would look at a distance and say, Oh, well, you know, you've changed now. But I would tell you this, that I'm not really worried about what they think because I've come to recognize some of the innate beauties of this gospel message. And I've come to recognize the beauty of this bride. And so I'm not here to tear her down. And I'm not here to pick her apart. And I'm not here to put anything on her. And I'm not trying to make her up or dress her up or make her more appealing to an unrighteous world. I want this bride to look good for her groom. And so I've taken the position I'm going to care for her. I'm going to protect her. I'm going to advocate for her. I'm going to fight for her because God has put me here to do that. Because God has put me here to do that. That is my anointed position. And so there is contention in our atmosphere, this wrestling, this ever non-stop pressure to try to get us to change. Can I say this now? Not because I'm preaching. It started long before I ever got here. We are in more of the right place right now than we have been in about 48 hours. We're prayed through. We're fed with the word of God. We're sharpened with the fellowship of like-minded brethren. 
We are as strong as we're ever going to be. But right now, there ain't a devil in this community trying to fight this room. Because we're standing shoulder to shoulder. And God is allowing Brother Lamb with his word to go forth which is quick and sharp. And God doesn't need an axe. God's got a blade that's so fast and so sharp you don't even know it touch you. Then the devil's going to try to fight this atmosphere. But brethren, what I'm preaching about is what happens when you go outside these doors and you get in your vehicle and you head back home to your house that's under attack and you head back home to your church that's under attack. That's what I'm preaching about right now. Not what you feel on Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon in Jennings, but what happens tomorrow morning and what happens tomorrow night and what happens tomorrow afternoon that's what I'm preaching about you fighting about in fact well let's go to the word of the Lord Matthew chapter 11 verse 12 a very familiar passage of scripture most people in this place could quote it but Jesus is speaking and he introduces a whole new radical creation and he said speaking of this moment and from the days of John the Baptist until now He puts it in perspective. From the days of John the Baptist until now. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. And the violent take it by force. John was the beginning of something brand new. John came on the scene as the the proclamation for the coming of the Messiah. But it wasn't just that he would be the mouth to say, make straight the paths for the Lord and repent of your wayward ways. But John came out as a prototype, a man anointed with the Holy Ghost from his birth, filled in his mother's womb. Let's not get into theological sword crossing, but I believe he had the same Holy Ghost that I've got. When he was born, he was full of the Holy Ghost. And he was the introduction, not of the line of the prophets, but of a new line, of a new generation that God was raising up for this end time. And he said, from John the Baptist until now, it started there and it goes to right now. The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. What was it about John? John confronted And John denied the existence and the ability of that world to encroach on his. You want me to go to school to be a preacher, but I'm going to the wilderness. You want me to sit around and learn from your doctors, but I'm going to eat honey-covered locusts. And I'm going to dress in some old Carhartts and some work boots and I'm not going to be your prototypical preacher I'm going to be something that violently resists what you're trying to do I'm going to be a man. Listen to me. John didn't have a church coming alongside him. John didn't have an ally until he was preaching one day and looked up and said, Behold, the Lamb of God slain from the foundation. Finally, my help has come. Finally, somebody's come alongside me to help me. I've been standing in the face of the entire world. I've been preaching what nobody wants to hear preached. I've been living what nobody wants to live. But I'm a man anointed of God. There was a man sent from God. 
I'm telling you today that we are anointed men sent from God to this generation. If you believe it, you ought to clap your hands and you ought to shout unto God. Oh, come on, some of you right now are being kind of patty cake for Jesus passive. I'm preaching to men right now. I want you to get violent. I want you to get aggressive. I want you to shout, not to make me happy. You want to shout to let the adversary know I'm a man called of God. I recognize my position. of God men and anoint that are anointed by God Jesus now says John is a reference point for the new violent aggression you can be seated you know what's so funny let me just let me just be honest it's just us girls here The enemy doesn't care if we get inspired about all the wrong things. That's that's the truth. So he doesn't care if you get all possessed with hunting. Go sit in a deer stand, 14 degrees below zero, battery-operated socks. Yeah. Sitting there, freezing, taking selfies to prove you were out there. (laughs) Posting on the internet, he-man hunter. I'm not afraid to be out here. Sit there for four hours. I saw somebody posted online. They were talking about how cold it was. They were talking about how how hard it was. And they said, sat out here for three hours. Didn't see anything. Went home. I thought, man, I could just get him in my church. His expectations are so low, I wouldn't even have to turn the heater on. Sit on a tree stand all day long. But 15 minutes into a prayer meeting, you're checking your watch. Can I just be honest today? Can I just be real with you? You're not a man. I'm preaching to men. You can go work on your truck till three in the morning. So it'll be running the next day. So you can get to camp. Deer camp. You'll go hunt tired. But if they put you in a late shift on Saturday night, you're texting the pastor. Pastor, I said, I've worked all night. I'm exhausted. I can't be there. Can I put it in real words? It's because the enemy came in and chest bumped you and you just backed up. 
I don't want no fight with you. Now I'm almost preaching last week's message. I don't want any battle with you. Come on, man. Let's just be friends. You say, well, I'm just trying to be a Christian. No, I'm telling you, you're not converted. Because someone said, well, we... (laughs) What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Okay, let me tell you what Jesus would do. He would sit on the sidelines and he would watch to make sure that all our behaviors he understood clearly. While he was watching us, he would be over there with little strips of leather and he would be plaiting his little whip. And when it was all secure in his mind, yep, waddles like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. And then he would get up and what would Jesus do? He would kick over your tables. He would beat you like his daughter. He would beat you like a little girl until you gathered your skirts up around your knees and ran out of the building because Jesus is not going to sit by and watch anything go down in his church if he can have a hand in its defense. And what I'm preaching about is not just a bunch of war and fight and pushing and machoism. I'm preaching about men that have a revelation that we're not trying to fight because we're just violent. We're fighting Fighting over what's worth fighting for. Sit down for a second. I, I got to hurry. Food's getting cold. Listen, our world's trying to paint men into a picture and into a corner that we don't belong in. Because remember, everything the world's trying to do is trying to flip it upside down. God made men men. When he robed himself in flesh and came down, he didn't take on that queer-looking Renaissance painting that you see on the wall. The Bible said there was no comeliness about him. Jesus did have long flowing locks. He may or may not have blue eyes. I don't care. But when you looked at him, you thought, man, that's a lumberjack. That's a man's man. That's a hard... Jesus took on the visage of a man so that you and I could relate to him. Not some GQ effeminate model. He took on a man's man. Not a macho shoulder swagging, waving, walking around, bumping people. I'm talking about a man who gets up every day and provides for his family. A man who loves his children. A man who pays his tithes. A man who knows where his blessings come from. A man who's not afraid to cry in the presence of Jehovah he became a man so that we could see that's a man that's a man yeah Yeah, he man they said we're going to execute you and he said you don't you don't take my life I'm laying it down I'm a man. You don't make me do anything I don't want to do. Everything I'm doing is what I want to do. I'm not a coward and I'm not soft. I'm obedient to the master's call. I'm not afraid. I'm not intimidated. I'm not a coward. I'm the bravest man you've ever seen. I know that I need him. I'm going to fight the fight, but not without him. I live like the man Moses. If you're not going, don't send me out. I'll fight anything you want me to fight. I'll pray any prayer you want me to pray. But just go with me. 
A man. A man. You can be seated. I'm, I, I've got to move along. You know, brethren, this violence was not called for us to do it secretly and in private. Can I take this off? It's not that matter. You don't have to do all that. This wasn't so that you and I could get in our little man cave. I'm going to preach against man caves. Yeah, I just decided. That's a new stand of holiness I'm taking. You know why? Because I don't have room in my house for one, so I'm preaching against yours. There you go. I'd probably preach against hunting, but they still allow it in the Socialist Republic of California at this point. guys want to trade governors? <laughs> I didn't think so. Pray for him. This, this violence was to be displayed and performed openly. Not in your man cave. God doesn't want us to be men. Man cave. I was in a store with my son. He's 22. We were walking. You know, he's, he's tall. Brother Jake. God bless Louisiana with a California man. And uh, he knows him. We were in this store looking for something. And I guess, I don't know. I know it was him, not me, because this little sales lady suddenly wanted to help us. She hadn't paid me no attention until he was standing beside me. So she's going to show us all this cool stuff. She said, I, I live with two guys. This is California. They're roommates. I said that wrong. Roommates, two guys. So I buy them all their decor. She said, I just got them this. And she picked it up and it said, the man cave. And I thought, oh, that's a cool sign. But I'm going to tell you what. I'm the man of my house. But if I hung out over my front door, it wouldn't go over good. <laughs> just would not go over good. I didn't say that to her. I just, these are all my... It's just me, myself, and I talking together. They say you're insane when you talk to yourself. I say, no, you're insane when you start answering your own questions. But somebody's got to tell me the truth, I guess. I don't know, but this whole thing about this man cave, little place where you can go to be a man. Go to your cave. <clears throat> and as long as you're in that cave, you can be a man. But when you come out, you better be back to your sissy self. You better get your swish on and put your apron back on and get in the kitchen. Finish them dishes. Come on, just be a man. Buy your wife a dishwashing machine. <laughs> so the world says, yeah, you can be a man. Just get in your cave. The world says, that's good. Keep on preaching. Brother Shoemake, just get them all manned up. Let them all get fired up and spiritual hormones and high-fiving each other, running the aisles. But when you walk out, you better put your carnal self back on. Don't you man up in my world. 
I'm going to tell you what. There may be a day, and I'm making a confession. So if you ever come preach for me, y'all may see a day where I have a shop in my house. That's for me. But it will not be a man cave. Because I don't need a cave to be a man. And I don't need a church to be anointed. I can be anointed anywhere I am. And so can you. And I'm telling some of you this morning, you better shake off that man cave mentality. You better shake off that man cave thinking. And you better start saying, yeah, I'm a man when I'm in the church. And I'm a man of God when I'm not in the church. And I'm walking in the Holy Ghost in the building. And I'm walking in the Holy Ghost when I'm not in the building. It suffereth violence. The kingdom suffereth violence. You can be seated. I'm, 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 I really am trying to push this thing over the edge. What time did I start? I don't know either. I need help. That's yeah, easy for y'all to say. You're not up here screaming and sweating. So I do need some context to where we're going here. Y'all, some of you are afraid you're going to have to go home and do the dishes. That's why you want me to keep preaching. Keep preaching. I got chores, Brother Shoemaker. Keep preaching. I won't have to do them if I'm drunk in the Holy Ghost. (laughs) I just need some context. The violence, though, it means suffereth violence means literally to crowd oneself into. To crowd oneself into. Come on up here. You two of the trio. Bring the duet up here. Come here, I need you. Just stand facing them right there in the middle. Two small Texas boys here. He said, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. That doesn't mean it sits around and lets bad things happen. It means that those that are going to be a part of this kingdom, because the kingdom of heaven, it, it's always in the struggle. The word literally means to crowd oneself into. Now, brethren, there are laws of nature that you cannot change. And to breach them is to violate certain laws of nature. For instance, if there is only so much space, you can only put so much in it unless it becomes liquid. In this case, I'm not water. He's not water. He's not water. And the laws of nature demand that if we start crowding ourselves into something, that something's got to give. And he said, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Whether you want me in here or not, I'm the middle singer in the trio now. (laughs) But I promise you it's not going to sound like that. (laughs) It's going to be music in some country, in some language, but not here. But I'm in the trio because I have violently asserted myself into this situation. Whether you want me to be here or not, I squeezed my way in. I appreciate your cooperation because it would get really distracted if we were really fighting for this footing right here. But this is, what, this is what this scripture means. It said, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. There is an imposition of my will and my knowledge over pre-existing circumstances. And so the existing circumstances said there was nothing you can do and there's no room for change. But then suddenly in the middle of all of this comes an apostolic man and says, hold on a minute, hold the train, change is coming. 
because the violent take it by force. And so I'm not going to just sit by and let you take my city. You can't just have my church. You can't have my children. I'm going to violently insert myself into the middle of this thing and say, no. He said the kingdom of heaven suffered violence and the violent take it by force. Are you ready? Big distinction here. I'm not a scholar. And I have more than a Strong's Exhaustive Concordance to assist me. But he said, they take it by force. The word literally, it means a forcer. The English word that would describe this is energetic. Energetic. HD, ADHD, for some of you who don't know what I'm talking about. Hyperactivity. Energy, not passivity, not calm, not sedentary, but energetic. The word means a forcer. The one who comes with more energy wins. The one who worships with more energy wins. The one who prays with more energy wins. That's why when James sat down and said, it's the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man that availeth much it's got to be the prayer of somebody that says I will force my way in and by my energy and my determination I will overthrow what exists and I will bring down what is dominant and I will be a man between God and the judgments of God It means to take it by force or to seize with force. To seize with force. You know, I need somebody to come out here that they don't mind me tackling them really hard. I was kidding, but thank you. Come on out. Seize it by force. We play this in a game. Tackle football. Because you're imposing your will over their will And they're trying to impose their will over your will. And now I'm describing professional levels of athleticism. Because we played like tackle football. You'd tackle somebody and take them down, right? Until you ran into some redneck. (laughs) Who was like, you know, taking me down. I don't go down. And so you're like, hey, friend. And he's like, whop. And you're looking up at the sky. And Fred scores a touchdown. And the violent took the pigskin by force and made a touchdown because you didn't use the appropriate required action. The only way to overcome violence, brethren, is with greater violence. He's coming in with violence. I can't say, hold on, hold on a minute. Let's talk about this. That doesn't get it done because he wants to take me down. He wants to take something from me. And so if you attack me, I've got to meet your violence with greater violence. And so the Bible said the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent taken by force. 
and there is no give and there's no yielding and there's no backing down and it doesn't mean it's not going to be a battle. It doesn't mean it's not going to get bloody but it means I won't quit. I won't stop fighting. I won't quit fighting until I possess the total victory. Violent men are required in the midnight hour. Yeah, we've been quiet long enough. We've been calm long enough. It's time to get upset. You hear me? It's time to get upset. More babies were aborted in our country than Hitler killed in his entire reign. And we want to point our fingers and call that atrocities. They're doing it in our country. To the defenseless and to the potential. How many missionaries were killed by the Lambeth before they were born? You can sit down for a second. Or 20 or 50. Years ago, I may not get it all right, but years ago, Pastor Johnny King came and preached at my church. I didn't know any of this. He came and preached a message, stood in my pulpit, and he said, today I've come to preach a message entitled, I've come to declare vengeance upon the spirit of San Jose, the city, the spirit of the city of San Jose. I said, what? He's never even been here. He's stepping in some prophetic footprints there come to declare vengeance on my city and he starts preaching and he tells a story about his mother who struggled with mental illness she married young she had kids we used to have a state hospital in San Jose called Agnews State Hospital for people with mental disorders issues she was pregnant they put her in there and they said our advice to you is abort that baby and she said, no. She didn't know God. She got out of there. She moved to Bakersfield. Found a Pentecostal church, pastored by A.H. Terry. Went to the altar, prayed through, got the Holy Ghost. And the baby that she was supposed to abort was Pastor Johnny King from Calgary, Canada. And I'm telling you right now, when I say how many missionaries were aborted, We better all think very differently about this because it's an act of violence. I said it's an act of violence. You say, no, it's a woman's right. You can call it whatever you want to. I don't care what you call it. I'm just telling you what it is. It's an act of violence against the potential. It's an act of violence against souls before they ever make it to the house of God. It's the devil's way of circumventing revival long before conviction ever falls by the weeks. So we're just going to sit back and say, hey, it's just the world we live in. Win some, you lose some. I'm reminded of that story. I use it often, an analogy. A little boy on the seashore, and you'd have to, and some of you know what I'm talking about. You've been there. He's walking down the seashore, and every time he sees a shellfish washed up on the shore, he picks it up and throws it back in the water. An elderly man watches this little boy proceed down the beach looking for shore, for seas for shells and he 
keeps picking him up, throwing him back in. Finally, wisdom overwhelms the man, and he walks down to the little boy and says, Son, what you doing? He says, I'm saving shellfish. And he picks it up, throws it in. Wise, seasoned man says, Son, you can't save them all. Little boy looks up at him with some eyes. Looks back down at that fish. Back up him. Picks it up and throws it in and says, I saved that one. You know, I may not be able to save everybody, but I saved that one. I'm declaring war. I'm not giving in. And I'm not giving up. I don't care. They they can let them do what they want to. They can pass all the laws they want to. They can try to silence this pulpit if they want to. But it's okay. I'm still going to fight them. I didn't save them all, but I saved that one. I buried some I couldn't save, but I buried more that I did save. And I'm telling you, if we don't, if we don't just keep on fighting, if we don't keep on contending, if we don't keep on praying, we're going to end up losing more than we gained. You know what we need? We need violent men. I'm, I'm closing. We need violent men who have levels of expectation that supersede the levels of expectation by their pastor. I'm sure they're not here today, but there are some people who want pastors give him a five-minute message on Sunday and to make sure that he's equally equally compensated, they make sure they put a dollar in the offering plate. Because their level of expectations right here and their level of expectations themselves is way down there. But we need to get a revelation, men, that when we walk into our houses of worship and our pastor steps to that pulpit, he fills our spirit. Preach to me, Pastor. Just sound that trumpet. Tell me where to go. Tell me what to fight this week. Tell me what line you need me to go stand on. Just tell me what's important. Tell me what I need to be. Tell me what I need to be fighting for. Brethren, we got to flip this. We've got to get a revelation. In our spirits, I try to convey this to my church. God, help me to do a better job. Everybody's anointed. You hear me? I'm not trying. I know the difference between the offices of the ministry and the offices of the people. I understand that we cannot be saved without pastors. I'm not diminishing offices. I am exalting the Holy Ghost right now. Everybody in here is anointed. You hear me? Everybody, I've got scripture to prove it. I don't want to argue with you, but I'd win. We, we need to elevate the anointing of the Holy Ghost in our lives. You're not some, you're not some uh, robot that just follows after whatever little instruction is programmed in you. And if you are, then you need to repent and get over that. And you need to get a walk with God. And I appreciate what you said, Pastor Davies. Uh, there's a point in time where men with this revelation will come to you and say, Pastor, what's your feeling about that decision? I know what I'm 
I'm thinking, but I want to know what you're thinking because I'm going to put what you're thinking over what I'm thinking and I believe the will of God's going to be done. Those are men with revelation. I'm anointed to make my own decisions, but I know where my anointing comes from and it flows down Aaron's head to his beard, to his garments, and anointing flows downward. Let me preach to some of you. I'm preaching to you men right now. You want a more anointed pastor? You pray for a more anointed pastor. You don't pray for a different pastor. You say, God, pour it on that man. Pour it on that preacher. You want more anointing in your life? You pray for more anointing in your pastor. Because it'll come on him. It'll run right down to you. And you'll operate in a greater anointing. Because you released him to operate in a greater anointing. want a better marriage, happier home, then get you one. No, don't change wives. Now you'll be in adultery. Change it from the inside out. You say, well, brother, she makes it easy for you to say, you don't know my circumstance. Just by that response, if that was your response, I would simply say, well, you just don't know my God. Because you just don't know how much power a praying man has before the throne of the Almighty. You just don't know what God sees when he looks down at that man and that man reflects him. And he looks down and that man reflects more of him. And he looks down and that man, God says, I can withhold no good thing from him. I've got to give him the desires of his heart. I've got to give him what he's asking for. In conclusion today, I'm challenging you. I'm challenging every man, every young man in this building today. I'm challenging you to go to your church and make it different. Change your church from the pew out. We have too many people waiting around expecting the ministry to do all the work. Pray for me, Pastor. Preach for me, Pastor. Reach for me, Pastor. And then the pastor says, change. And they start saying, Lord, give me a new pastor. This one don't know what he's doing. He keeps asking me to do crazy stuff like come to the church and pray. Then you know how busy I am? I pay my tithes. Well, I'm going to say what I heard earlier. I can't remember. God don't need your money. No, you ready? God doesn't need your money. I preached against TV one time. A man in our church said, said son, the man, he's, he said, he's going to miss my 40000 a year in tithes. He left. My tithes went up. God don't need your money. You ready? You need to give your money to God. You need that more than I need your money because I don't work for you. The principle of tithe superseded the existence of the church. You see, tithe is a part of our relationship with God. Tithe don't support the preacher. Tithe reflects your obedience to God's will. And God told the ministry to live off the tithe. He didn't say you pay your tithe so the preacher can live. If you're trying to 
You're trying to starve your preacher out by not paying your tithes? Well, I'm going to say it. It may be a cuss word. You're stupid. You need the revelation. I pay my tithes because my money's between God and I. Just like the money between the ministry and God. I, I know I got on that, but that felt really right. And it felt really good. So I'm just going to give you some good old California wisdom. Pay your tithes. I'm a devil a liar. You need to pray, God, I'm fighting things, and I don't know where I'm supposed to go. There's war and confusion. I've never been to war, and I pray I never have to go or fight it. But I've had a few friends that have, and they'll tell you unequivocally, some of you could probably relate, that when the bullets start flying, the only thing that reigns is confusion. And the only way you can be saved is by the training that they've pounded into your head. They just train you, train you, train you. They tell you what's going to happen and the bullets start firing and then they count on the training, not the plan. So I'm going to tell some of you, when confusion's going on, you don't need to look around and go, what in the world is going on here? I thought we were having a barbecue. And suddenly things are zinging and popping and slapping and people are dropping dead. And I thought we were just having a men's prayer meeting. It's war. So you need to start praying. God, it's confusing. I don't know what's going on. But I'm going to church. And I'm going to pray for my pastor or for the evangelist or for the missionary or for the Bible study teacher, whatever's still in that pulpit. And I'm going to pray, God, tell me what to do because I'm not going to stop fighting and I need to know where you can best use me right now. So tell me where to go because I'm going to tell you something, brethren. The Bible will show us there are times to charge and then there are times when God says, be still. And if all we know is charge, you're going to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. You need to go back to your church and say, God, fill my mouth, my pastor's mouth with instructions for my life. I need to know where you need me to fight. For the womb, slinging rocks at tall trees. David learned to operate in the anointing of the moment. And whether he was sitting there playing the harp, singing, and the inspiration of God came upon him, and he began to write down words or memorize words, however he recorded them, or whether he was standing in the middle of the sheep and a lion came out and grabbed a lamb and he said, I'm a shepherd. That's one of my sheep. That's a lion. I forgot my lion killing manual. I'm in trouble. Oh, God have mercy on him. Or he said, in this moment, it is obvious that the anointing of God will be upon me to kill that lion because that's what's come against me. And he ran, learning to operate in the anointing that was upon him. And he grabbed that lion by the beard. Brother, I've been to Africa. And I went to a zoo in Africa. Now that's a little different than it is here, I tell you that. And you could pay the zookeeper to do a little extra special things. 
So we paid him like all good North Americans do. If there's a bribe to be given, we will offer. And so we paid him, and we got up real close to the lion house. Like from the edge of that, pla- that, that altar to me, that was what separated us. And I'm not talking like lions. I'm talking like lions. And they're all laying there. Brother, we walked around that whole house, and finally <clears throat> they were all just staring at us. And the, the zookeeper looked at us and said, get small. And I'm like, well, I, <laughs> that ain't going to happen. He said, no, get small. Well, a crazy friend of mine, a preacher from California, he, was, he said, oh, and he dropped down to his hands and knees. And he said, yeah, get small. I oh, I'll let him get small. Because if he gets him, I'm going to do one of those, have mercy, Lord. And so when he did, all of a sudden in the very back of the, the, the little cage, because it was a round building and a center stall, and there was doors with little slits for their eyes, he got small, and all of a sudden I saw a set of eyes go boop. I thought, oh, there's another kitty cat in that cage. And we walk around the next one, and that little kitty cat had moved around to the open door in her cage, and she was laying down. There's a whole message on this. The females are the hunters. You have to come back another time. And that that female lion, I mean, it seemed like probably my memory serves me right. Fifty feet, forty feet, big old deep cage. Maybe not that big, but it seemed like that big. And when she started running, it seemed a lot smaller. I blinked, and I'm not lying. I blinked, and when I blinked, she hit the bars. Full tilt, female lion. It's up close and personal. And you realize right there, I don't need anything. I don't, I don't even want to hunt one of them with a gun. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with that thing. And then mental telepathy is real in animals because they sent out a signal. Because we started walking around the cage. When we got to the last one, there was a big old male lion standing on his hind feet. I had pictures of it, and they made me put them through the x-ray machine to leave the country as if I'm going to steal something from the country of Africa. You'd have to know. <clears throat> I took a picture of him standing on his hind feet swatting at the lock for a hatch in the roof of his cage trying to get the lock off so he could get out and eat us with a slab of meat laying in his cage. He was not hungry. They're just killers. And David looked over at that lion, and I know he was anointed. (laughs) Because the anointing will make you do things, trust me. And a preacher in here lays on their bed at night and said, What did I say? Lord Jesus, what did I do? Trust me, I got many of those and I can tell you about where I go home and I just, I'm just pacing all night long. Lord, don't let me split my church. <laughs> David ran in the anointing of the moment and grabbed that lion by the beard and he said, I smote it. <clears throat> You'll never kill a giant until you learn how to operate in the anointing of the moment. What God anoints you to do at the moment is training 
for the stage when you'll walk out one day and say, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I got nothing besides an experience, but I am a man standing between you and God's people in the world. I'm just going to tell you, whatever your hand finds to do, do it in the anointing. And one day you'll kill a giant. One day you'll kill a giant. God has called us all to act, to do. You're going home to churches where there are beasts loose. Some of you are going to go back to churches where your young people are being decimated. Young couples are struggling. Your friends are questioning. There are wild, angry beasts loose. Some of your pastors, their family, are under attack physically, spiritually. Let me tell you something. Don't ever look at a preacher's family if their child goes away from God and say, well, see, that's just what happens. You see that happen? You need to run grab your babies. Because if they're coming for the preacher's kids, they're definitely coming for yours. So I'm telling you what you need to do. When you go home and you know there's a beast at work in that church, you need to square your shoulders and say, Pastor, you may be tired, but you're not alone. I'm right here with you. We're fighting. I'm a man of war. Your pastor gets to preaching conviction. You need to let it get on you first. You need to show that church, this is where we come pray. This is how we respond when the pastor preaches to us. This is how we let God move in our life. This is how we seek the face of God. You got to show your family when you make a mistake. Kids, this is how you repent. This is how you bring forth meat fruit for repentance. This is how you turn your life around. See, watch me. This is how you get back up. This is how you get back in the race. This is how you get back living for God. You, you, can't, you can't, let me tell you something. They're going to watch you. Men of violence are not just men of violence because they just respond violently. But there's something that burns deep within them that says, I will not quit. And I will not, de- I will not be defeated. And nor will I allow anybody innocent to be defeated. But I'm going to operate in the anointing of the moment. And I'm going home to fight shoulder to shoulder with my pastor and with the leadership. I'm fighting for their family. I'm fighting for my family. I'm fighting for your family. I'm fighting for my my city. I'm fighting for my people. I'm fighting. I'm standing in the breach today, God. Oh, let's lift up our hands all over the building right now. I want you to lift up your voice. I want you to cry out. I want you to cry out.
This morning in prayer, I was seeking God. I, I, I knew what I felt. But I don't want to just, I, I've got a long, a long time ago, I got over the thrill of preaching. I don't want to preach unless God's going to move. Because it's not about me. And it's about you and God connecting. I prayed this morning, said, God, I want you to move. And the Holy Ghost gave me direction for this altar call. And I don't know how long I'm not trying to create, but I feel like God wants to do something in the spirit here. I want every man in here, if your pastor is here, I want you to go get around your pastor right now. I don't necessarily want you to lay hands. I just want you to stand. Just go, just go get around him. Gather around him. You may have to move chairs. I don't know what the protocol is. Can they move these chairs around? Just move the chairs. Create space. Just get around your pastor. If you are here and your pastor is not here, just step in next to some other group of men and say, this is, this is kind of a, a, a distance extension of my pastor today in spirit. This is, a, this is a representation of my man of God in my life today. Just get with them. Just stand together. Stand together. Just stand around them right now and just say, we're here. Here's what I want you to do. Listen to me. There's a stirring in the Holy Ghost right now. And I believe there's even a word of the Lord that's gone forth today for some of you men that have been wondering, what do I do in the face of this situation? I believe God's given you direction in these last few services. And now you know in leaving here what you're going to do too. You're going to fight and you're going to stand in that place. I want you to bind together with your pastor in spirit. And by you standing there, I want you to lift your hands And I want you to begin to pray for every family you can think of in your church. I want you to pray for your pastor's family by name. I want you to pray. Pastors, you just pray what you feel, Holy Ghost. Come on, lift up your hands and pray over your church. Stand right there with your pastor. Stand right there. We're we're with you, Pastor. Every step of the way, we're with you, Pastor. Come on, men. The anointing for the moment is over your church family. Come on, call those families' names in prayer. Call your families' names in prayer. Call your pastor's families' names in prayer. Come on, men, lift your voice. Lift your spirit. Ha, 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 ha.
Yes, 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 yes. Yes, that's it. Come on, pray for one another. Pray for one another right now in the Holy Ghost. Oh, why don't you start operating in the anointing that God's put on your life right now. Would you lift up your voice for a backslider? Would you lift up your voice for a wayward saint of God? Will you stand in the gap? Come on, pray for that, that co-worker. Come on, pray for the neighbor that you've been talking to. Oh.